0: Welcome to the Sean Hannity Show. I'm Greg Jarrett of the Fox News Channel, filling in for Sean, who has a few days off, and he certainly deserves it, among the hardest-working men in television and radio. So, Sean, I hope you're having a good time. Um, It's a new year, folks, uh, and it's a new decade, and it's a new presidential election coming up to the chagrin of the Trump-hating media and their vengeful, rapacious co-conspirators like Nancy Pelosi, Chuckie Schumer, Jerry Nadler, and the chronically dishonest Adam Schiff, not to mention the gaggle of Democratic uh, presidential candidates who are bereft of any good ideas that can compete with Donald Trump's economic record, the president is poised to be reelected to another four-year term. And why do I say that? Because historically, we know that people tend to vote their wallets. If if things are going well for them financially, they do endorse the status quo. They reject change, change that runs the risk of reversing the gains and their well-being. And there's no reason why people shouldn't be Self-interested in their vote. That's what democracy is all about. What's good for individuals collectively is good for the nation. And as we began 2020, the stock market continues to hit all-time highs. Your 401k and other investments, if you have them, are, are probably better now than ever before. Consumer confidence has hit a 20-year high. Unemployment is at a 50-year low, the best employment figures in half a century. And poverty is down substantially, in large part because wages continue to rise. GDP and consumer spending are incredibly strong. And whether you like him or not, Donald Trump deserves credit for much of this because he kept his promises. He cut taxes that boosted not just the American workforce, but incentivized employers to invest and expand. He rolled back the onerous and expensive regulations that were choking businesses to death. And what do Democrats have to offer? They want to reverse course. They want to raise taxes, not cut them. They want to reinstate those regulations. They want to undertake trillion-dollar ideas like the Green New Deal and Medicare for All that would bankrupt the federal government and lead inexorably to inflation, maybe recession, And frankly, Americans are smarter than that. And it bodes well for President Trump's re-election. And it bodes poorly for Democrats and the complicit media who aid and abet them. Come November, if Donald Trump is re-elected, Rachel Maddow's head will explode. And I don't want to miss that one. Rachel Maddow, prime time. MSNBC, who spent much of Donald Trump's first term claiming that he's a Manchurian candidate, Putin's puppet, acting as a covert Kremlin asset. Take a listen.
1: If the president did that today because he has some reason to serve that other country rather than our own, then then a lot that has previously been inexplicable is now explicable. Is our president subordinate to a foreign power? Does our president answer to a foreign government and a foreign leader? The worst case scenario that the president is a foreign agent uh, suddenly feels very palpable. What would change the world is if, you know, Russia was interfering in the election, um, and they weren't doing it on their own, and he was in on it. I mean, this guy is supposedly somebody who works at the Russian Central Bank. Why did the FSB give him a medal for his work? A medal of appreciation right after Donald Trump clinched the Republican nomination for president. If the the presidency is effectively a Russian op, right, if the American presidency right now is the product of collusion between the Russian intelligence services and an American campaign, I mean, that is so profoundly big.
0: That's the kind of nonsense, the B.S. that Rachel Maddow was peddling every night. More than anybody else, Maddow advanced the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, assuring her lapdog and unthinking viewers that the president would be tossed out of office once the Mueller report was made public. She promised that the Clinton-funded anti-Trump dossier was absolutely true. Trust me, she said night after night. And she was relying on useful idiots like James Clapper, Obama's director of national intelligence, as her source. The last guy I would ever trust for anything. For example, in her monologue on August 23rd, 2017, Maddow stated with unreserved certainty that, quote, nothing in the dossier has been overtly disproved since it was first posted online. Right, Rachel except that all of the main allegations against Trump had been overtly disproved by the FBI. Months earlier, they had tracked down Christopher Steele's primary information source, who, according to the recent IG report, admitted it was a collection of embellishments and lies cobbled together from hearsay built on hearsay. Some of it was said in jest over beers. But the conspicuous absence of real evidence did not stop the malevolent Maddow from peddling her phantasm. Here she is, September 15th, 2017.
1: The um, Christopher Steele dossier, Mm -hmm, which is a mm -hmm. controversial document for lots of reasons. Um, Quoting from that, though, a lot of it has been proven out.
0: Yeah, a lot of it has been proven You know, night after night, Maddow promised her brainless sycophants that they'd be rewarded by the special counsel Robert Mueller. Trump would be cuffed and frog marched out of the White House thanks to the dossier that she treated as the gospel according to Rachel. Here's another example. July 2nd, 2018, in a typically obtuse monologue, Maddow informed her viewers that, quote, nothing in the dossier has ever been disproven, except that it wasn't even close to being true. That same month, I published my book, The Russia Hoax, disproving the main accusations in the phony dossier. And I wasn't alone in that. Sedulous reporting by my colleague John Solomon, the tenacity of my friend Sean Hannity... Day after day on his radio show, this radio show on his television show on Fox News, showed that the dossier was demonstrably false. There was no evidence of a criminal collusion conspiracy with Moscow. The Mueller report would so conclude. And of course, when it was released April of this year, that's exactly what happened. So did a contrite maddow apologize for misleading her audience with reckless reporting and analysis of course she didn't was she fired from msnbc no way there were too many other people at the network who embraced the same fraud you think i'm kidding nbc's chuck todd on meet the press willingly bought into the hoax the same hoax the maddow hoax On April 15, 2018, he stated, and I'll quote, So far with this dossier, nothing yet has been proven untrue. Nice job, Chuck. You have earned coveted membership in the Flat Earth Society. And it's not just the dopes at MSNBC and NBC. The folks over at CNN adopted the dossier as scripture. Jim Sciutto said on air, quote, the dossier, in fact, is far from bogus. Another CNN contributor said, increasingly, it's the accurate dossier. Increasingly, it's the damning dossier. Except the only thing that was damning was the stupidity of CNN and Jeff Zucker, who runs the joint. People like Rachel Maddow have no conscience, no ability to admit fault or failure She expressed not a shred of regret or remorse for lying to her viewers night after night, month after month, year after year. Media critic Eric Wemple of the Washington Post, maybe you saw this, recently condemned Maddow as a charlatan. He wrote that she rooted for the dossier to be true. And when it fell apart, she then just shifted her attention to something else. When confronted in a podcast, according to Wimple, she pretended she never deceived her viewers by asserting the validity of the dossier. She called it, in fact, creepy to suggest otherwise. She actually said this in the podcast, quote, it's not like I've been making a case for the accuracy of the Steele dossier, and that's been the basis of my Russian reporting. That's not true. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard the clips that we just played. Think about what she's saying. I mean, in the history of lies, can you come up with a bigger whopper than the one peddled by Rachel Maddow? And Maddow was just one symptom in the larger disease of media malpractice on steroids, and they were rewarded for it. The Washington Post, the New York Times, actually won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for their reporting on the dossier and Trump's collusion with Russia. Except that the dossier was a fabrication and collusion with Russia never happened. The people who got it right, John Solomon, Sean Hannity, a great many others, those people were mocked, they were ridiculed, they were demeaned, and the people who got it wrong were awarded Pulitzer Prizes. In what upside-down world does that happen? I'll tell you. It's the world of liberal-dominated journalism. They never admit their mistakes, especially the egregious ones. Instead, they award prizes Only to leftist reporters who manage to demolish the truth, fairness, and accuracy as they move on. And Rachel Maddow is like a cult leader uh, with, you know, end-of-the-world predictions. And when they fail to come true, she picks a new date and a new prophecy. I'm going to be talking to John Sale, former Assistant Special Watergate Prosecutor. Um, he's going to be joining us in just a few minutes. We'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 800-941-7326, 800 941 Sean. I'm Greg Jarrett. This is The Sean Hannity Show. Welcome back to The Sean Hannity Show. I'm Greg Jarrett. Fill in for Sean Hannity. By the way, uh, if you would, uh, connect with me on Twitter. My handle is at greg jarrett uh two g's at the end of greg j-a-r-r-e-t-t uh check out my website the dot jarrett.com and uh we love your calls i'm going to be talking to uh, john sale coming up in just a moment one of the best lawyers in america former uh, uh watergate prosecutor and we'll have him weigh in on the upcoming uh durham investigation. Uh, It's ongoing, actually, but uh, we hope there's a report that emanates from it, and maybe uh, some prosecutions. Uh, We'll have him weigh in a little bit on the media as well. Uh, In my new book, uh, Witch Hunt, The Story of the Greatest Mass Delusion in American Political History, it's available online at barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Again, the title is Witch Hunt, Um, I open chapter six, which is entitled uh, The Media Witch Hunt, with my favorite quote from The Wizard of Oz, where Scarecrow says to Dorothy, I haven't got a brain, only straw. And Dorothy responds by saying, how can you talk if you haven't got a brain? And Scarecrow Scarecrow replies, I don't know, but some people without brains do an awful lot of talking, don't they? And that is the media. Scarecrow described today's mainstream media mob and people like Rachel Maddow perfectly. People without brains do an awful lot of talking. Rachel Maddow should have read both my books, The Russia Hoax and Witch Hunt, because it tells the story of the greatest mass delusion in American political history. I'm Greg Jarrett filling in for Sean Hannity on The Sean Hannity Show. Your phone calls and John Sale coming up next. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Sean Hannity Show. I'm Greg Jarrett, filling in for Sean Hannity. Very pleased to have with us today a former federal prosecutor in the Southern District of New York and Assistant Special Watergate Prosecutor John Sale, who is one of the best lawyers in America for my money. And, John, Happy New Year. Thanks for being with us.
2: My pleasure, Greg. Happy New Year to you.
0: You know, I want to ask you a few questions about... uh, John Durham and uh Michael Horowitz. Now Horowitz uh is the Inspector General at the Department of Justice who investigated the FBI and the DOJ. And if I can just broad brush a couple of his conclusions, he determined uh that there were errors and omissions and deceptions uh by the FBI to the FISA court in seeking a warrant to spy on Trump campaign advisor Carter Page. And he also looked into the origins of the FBI's investigation of Trump-Russia collusion that was launched July 31st, 2016. And John Durham, uh, specially appointed by the Attorney General William Barr to, to look into uh, the origins of the Trump-Russia case, Um, made a very unusual public statement the day that Horowitz's report came out. And he said that uh, he disagreed with Horowitz as to the predication and how the FBI case was opened. So what does that tell you, John?
2: Well, the Department of Justice rarely makes any public statements on ongoing investigations. But the actual policy, the DOJ policy, Is they don't comment on open investigations, quote, unless there's a compelling public interest. So here, I think John Durham felt the American public should not think case closed, there was no political motive in opening the investigation. But as the consummate professional that he is, and he's conducting a grand jury investigation, he didn't leak anything, and he's going to investigate this thoroughly. And uh, let me tell you, I have not met John Durham, but I have actually spoken to two former attorneys general, both of whom, one Democrat, one Republican, who appointed him to some very sensitive uh, investigations to run. And they have both told me he's a straight shooter, he's not political, he's going to call him as he sees him, and he's not going to be afraid to indict people if the evidence is there. So I think there are some people who are going to, have a lot to be concerned about, but in fairness, you know, I don't want to mention names. I don't want to say who may or may not be indicted, but just what John Durham was saying is, stay tuned, it's not over.
0: Yeah. I mean, he had, and he pointed this out in his statement the day the Horowitz report came out, Uh, he said, uh, based on the evidence collected to date, and while our investigation is ongoing, Last month, we invi- advised the inspector general. We didn't agree with his conclusions as to predication and how the case was open. Uh, and, and he went on to uh, state that he has access uh, to more information from, quote, other persons and entities both in the United States and outside the United States. So he has far greater power, authority, and jurisdiction than the inspector general, who many people have likened to, you know, sort of an auditor. Uh, you know, I actually liken him to sort of a stenographer. He, he gets statements from people and regurgitates them in his report. What do you think?
2: Well, he could, he did not. I think he did a very good job considering the limitations of what he did. It, he had to accept people's answers. He, he had to accept people if they said they don't recall. He couldn't, there's nothing he could do. Uh, uh, by the same token, John Durham, as a prosecutor, he has the grand jury. He can subpoena people before the grand jury. He can subpoena documents. He has access to records from overseas pursuant to various mutual assistance, treaties that we have with foreign governments. And so I think Durham did a good job considering the limited powers he had. And I think some of the Durham findings are, I'm sorry, some of the Horowitz findings are very, very troubling. Uh, so I don't think we can just say that. Well, Harwood swept everything under the rug. Right. I mean, he found 17 abuses of mis- where the Pfizer court was misled, either by omissions or by outright lies, and even he even found that a a lawyer supervising uh... the Pfizer process altered a document in a very material way. I mean. The FISA court was part of legislation in the 70s to make up for the abuses under the Hoover regime, and by God, it assumed that our DOJ lawyers and our FBI agents would be honorable and would never deceive a court. I, I do this for a living. Deceiving a court is not forgivable.
0: No, it's not. It's actually, as I describe in my book, potentially criminal. Uh, it's defrauding the court. Uh, when you're signing off, you're swearing under penalty of perjury that what you're uh, representing I- is true, that you verified the information. And you're right, Horowitz found 17 significant uh, deceptions or errors, uh, but you actually have to turn to appendix number one and you find a flowchart identifying a total of 51 inaccurate statements, errors, omissions of exculpatory evidence, and, you know, the altering of a document and outright lies and deceptions. So, you know, I identify various potential crimes in my book that that could constitute. What's troubling to me is that the judges who were deceived, the FISA court and the presiding judge, Rosemary Collier's, Only response so far has been to send a letter, an order to the FBI, saying, uh, by thus and such a date in January, let us know how you're going to fix this. John, I mean, wouldn't most judges who were deceived haul the the individuals who did it in front of them for a show-cause contempt hearing?
2: Well, it may be that they're waiting to see what Durham is doing, and also, yes, of course, but... The penalty for contempt may not be great enough because I I do this for a living and I have companies or individuals who are subject to search warrants and it's one-sided, it's a one-sided process. Who is going to make up to uh, Carter Page what happened here? Uh, He's an American citizen and he was surveilled illegally. Uh, He's a graduate of the Naval Academy. And, I mean, he was, to put it very simply, he was working for the good guys. He was working for us. And the false, one of the false statements to the FISA court, or one of the ultra documents made it seem like he was working for the other side. I mean, that's not a minor little error. That rises to the level of being shocking the conscience, to use a term that we lawyers use.
0: You know, um... James Comey seemed to be saying in his interview with my colleague on Fox News, uh, Chris Wallace, that, um, well, you know, I just signed off on this, and I'm way up on top, and this was seven layers below, to which uh, uh, Attorney General Durham said that's nonsense when he sat down for an interview with Martha McCallum of Fox News. Bill Barr. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry, Bill Barr. And and so... um, You know, it it sort of invites the question, if uh, Durham concludes that the court was deliberately deceived, is it an excuse for a guy like Comey to say, well, I just trusted others when I signed it?
2: Well, one of the things that uh, Horowitz testified to during the hearing was, I don't have the exact language in front of me, but he said... He couldn't really conclude whether all of the FBI's egregious mistakes were the product of gross negligence or something worse. So if it is true that Comey was just above it all, he certainly was should take responsibility because the buck stops here. If it goes way beyond that, and he did supervise this personally because it was the most important investigation the Bureau was doing, then... Durham will have to make a judgment call on that.
0: If the FISA court has fed 51 inaccurate uh, statements and deceptions in the withholding of exculpatory information, 51 times, and all of them in one direction against Donald Trump, isn't it hard to argue, you know, gross negligence?
2: I would rather be on the other side and rather than trying to defend the gross negligence. uh, I want to give direct to Comey and everyone else the benefit of the presumption of innocence. Maybe that's just my nature as a defense lawyer. But I think it w- yes, I think it is hard to make the case that it's only gross negligence.
0: You know, we have played the uh, soundbite of Rod Rosenstein here before in which he talks about how serious, you know, FISA warrant applications are. Uh, and, you know, that you have to be very scrupulous Uh, When you sign off on that and you have to make sure that the information is absolutely accurate, has been properly vetted and corroborated and verified. I mean, this is Rod Rosenstein on tape who, who has said this, and yet he signed the final FISA warrant application so he would have no excuse to say, oh, I just trusted others when he's on record saying you, as a signator, have to make sure that it's accurate information. Would you agree?
2: Well, I agree that a Pfizer application is so serious that the person at the top cannot just say, oh, I'm relying on others and sign it, that they have the responsibility to be sure it's accurate, just as in the private sector uh, CEOs of companies are responsible when they sign, CFOs, when they sign off, on financial statements. They're criminally responsible, not only in terms of uh, accountability to shareholders.
0: Last question is the launching of the Trump-Russia collusion investigation. Again, was formally opened on July 31st, 2016. Peter Strzok signed the papers, uh, but it was surely approved at the highest levels of the FBI. And in my book, I go through the federal regulations of the Department of Justice uh, and the FBI, and it and it states you must have, before you open the investigation, two things. You must have a reasonable basis to believe that a crime has been or will be committed. And number two, it has to be supported by specific, articulable facts. Uh, and I argue in my book that george papadopoulos hearing a rumor is not a sufficient articulable specific fact so that would have been um a bad basis to open up the investigation and as if it was the dossier that they were relying on none of it had been verified at that juncture so is that perhaps what uh, john durham is is looking at when he says he doesn't agree that the case was opened with proper predication?
2: Well, I think, Greg, I think it's worse than you stated it, because it was opened by specific articulable facts, but they were false facts. And the dossier, they misrepresented to the court that it had been verified, and they didn't tell the court that it was funded by the opposition party. So it's even worse. I mean, your book... I read it, I thought it was great, I couldn't put it down, but frankly, I wondered, is it true? I mean, I thought it was a novel, and as I we look at it now, I mean, it's remarkable, I mean, uh, how you uh, were right, right on uh, in uh, not only with your research, because you didn't have. Uh, access to the uh, things that Durham and Harrow was had access to, and you pull things out of the public record, and you analyze the law and the regulations, and it be, as I look at your book again now, not only is it a great read, but it was correct. It was
3: accurate.
0: John Sale, many thanks for being with us. Always great talking to you. John Sale, former federal prosecutor, former assistant special Watergate prosecutor. Happy New Year to you, and thanks for being with us. Your calls on the other side in just a moment. I'm Greg Jarrett. This is The Sean Hannity Show. And welcome back to The Sean Hannity Show. I'm Greg Jarrett, filling in for Sean Hannity. All right, you may have noticed, maybe you saw some some clips recently of uh, Joe Biden at a rally and uh, being heckled by a variety of individuals who were calling him quid pro Joe. (laughs) And, uh, of course, the former vice president didn't like it one bit. Immediately sought to uh, to blame uh, Donald Trump. Uh, this is a democracy. This is not a Trump rally, and the heckling quid pro Joe continued because of of course Joe Biden, in his immense hubris and cluelessness, we call him clueless Joe, not shoeless Joe, clueless Joe. This is politics, not baseball. Um, you know, seems to think that his son did nothing wrong and that there is no evidence of impropriety on his part. Um, and that's not quite how Hunter Biden put it in an interview with ABC's Amy Rohrbach October 15th. Take a listen.
4: When he said, I hope you know what you're doing, what did he think you were doing?
3: Well, he read the press reports that I joined the board of Burisma, which was a Ukrainian natural gas company. And there's been a a, a lot of misinformation about me, not about my dad. Nobody buys that, but it buys this idea that I was unqualified to be on the board.
4: What were your qualifications to be on the board of Burisma?
3: Well, I was vice chairman of the board of Amtrak for five years. I was the chairman of the board of the UN World Food Program. I was a lawyer for Boy Schiller, Flexner, one of the most prestigious law firms in the world.
4: You didn't have any extensive knowledge about natural gas or Ukraine itself though?
3: Uh, no, but I think that I had as much knowledge as anybody else that was on the board. I, if not more.
4: In the list that you gave me of the reasons why you're on that board, you did not list the fact that you were the son of the of Vice course. President.
3: Of course. Yeah, no. I,
4: what I, role do you think that played?
3: I think that it is impossible for me to be on any of the boards that I just mentioned without saying that I'm the son of the Vice President of the United States.
4: You were paid $50,000 a month? your position? Look,
3: I'm a private citizen. One thing that I don't have to do is sit here and open my kimono as it relates to how much money I make or make or did or didn't. But it's all been reported.
4: If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know.
3: I don't know. Probably not. I I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Uh, That is Hunter Biden. And I don't think it's 50,000 a month he got uh, from Burisma um, for a job uh, upon which he held no qualifications to have. It was more like 83,000. But we'll put that question to Peter Schweitzer, who joins us now, uh, who is Government Accountability Institute president and author of Secret Empires, as well as Clinton Cash. And he joins us now. Peter, it's always great talking to you. Thanks for taking the time.
5: Oh, it's always a pleasure, Greg. Great to be on with you.
0: So how much was he actually getting uh, from Barisma Hunter Biden?
5: Uh, he was getting $83,333 a month, which, if my math is accurate, is a million dollars a year. And he got that beginning in April of 2014. Um, you know, what happened is his business partner, Devin Archer, went to the White House in April of 2014. We know that based on White House visitors' logs. Uh, and we don't know what the meeting was about, but Devin Archer, Hunter's business partner, was there for you know, five or six hours meeting with the vice president. Uh, and that we know in the days that followed, literally the days that followed, uh, Burisma started depositing um, transfers into the account of Devin Archer and, and Hunter Biden. And they were each getting $83,333 a month. Um, and that is uh, way out of proportion. Uh, you know, if you sit on the board of Exxon or other corporations like that in the United States that are much larger, much more legitimate, sitting on that board's more demanding. You're getting paid a fraction of that. So this is a is a sweetheart deal of sweetheart deals that Hunter Biden had.
0: And Joe Biden had been appointed um, as the point person by the Obama administration in Ukraine. Um, and at one point in time, he's, he's urging Ukraine to, if I recall correctly, increase their natural gas production. At the same time, his son is sitting on the board Of the biggest natural gas company in Ukraine, right?
5: That's right. I mean, Greg, you talk in your book, Witch Hunt, about how the machinery of government was twisted and distorted to, to you know, get political enemies. In this case, Donald Trump. Um, in this case, you're talking about twisting the machinery of government uh, to benefit your family. I, I talk about this and call this corruption by proxy. In other words, Joe Biden's not going to be stupid enough to take money from Ukrainians himself. He's not going to take money from the Chinese government himself, but if his son, in effect, serves as a proxy, uh, which is pretty clear what happened here. I mean, the two countries where Hunter Biden cashed in the most were Ukraine and China. And those are the two countries that it happens to be Joe Biden as vice president was point person on for policy. You know, that's either one hell of a coincidence or it speaks to the issue that these foreign entities knew exactly what they were paying for when they were paying Hunter Biden. Um, And, you know... Most people, I think, out in the country see that and know that. It's a big denial game still in Washington, D.C. Oh, there's nothing inappropriate about this. If this happened in your small town or if this happened elsewhere, people see it. They know that the gig is up. They know what's going on. Um, and, and it's just Joe Biden's continued insist- insistence that there's no connection between his son's business activities and his venturing into new fields where he has no background in either China or Ukraine or energy or Private equity, um, just speaks to that fact, and I think it's going to really hurt him here in 2020.
0: What did Burisma hope to gain out of paying this enormous amount of money, more than a million dollars to the son of the vice president? Did, were they hoping to gain access, influence, protection, all of the above?
5: Great question. I think all of the above. Um, you know, we know at the time that Hunter Biden and Devin Archer joined the board uh, together, and remember, Devin Archer was a former top aide to john kerry who was secretary of state at the time so they were kind of getting a twofer here. They were getting the vice president's son and a close aide to John Kerry, the secretary of state. At the time they joined the board, the, for, the founder of Burisma, Zlachevsky, who was this sort of pro-Russian oligarch from the Yanukovych government, uh, was facing uh, criminal charges in uh, London from the series fraud office, from Ukrainians, from others in Europe. He was basically living in Switzerland in sort of quasi-exile. Um, he was not really allowed to come to the United States, nor was another Ukrainian oligarch named Kolomoisky, who was actually uh, not allowed to visit the United States at all. That was changed once these two joined the board. The case against Lachevsky was dropped by f- certain foreign countries. So there is that sense that, that, that perhaps he was being protected. There's also the sense that um, Barisma uh, was ponying up uh, at the bar, as it were, to get access to U.S. SAID money, uh, the United States Agency for International Development or the Obama administration, again, this is being steered by Joe Biden, is passing out um, aid and money uh, to companies like Burisma. Certainly they wanted to benefit from that relationship. Uh, and then I think there's finally just the sense that in Ukraine, this is how politics is done. It's, it's a highly corrupt political culture, uh, one of the most corrupt in the world. Um, some authorities say uh, things go on there that would make Nigerians wince in, in how corrupt it is. So they figure that's the way they do politics and business. We're going to do that uh, in the United States, and the Bidens were all too happy to do it.
0: So Joe Biden is seen on videotape bragging uh, about a quid pro quo. Uh, that he uh, uh, said he would see to it that a billion dollars in American aid was withheld from Ukraine unless Viktor Shokin, the then-chief prosecutor in Ukraine, was fired. Shokin is on record telling, including the Washington Post, in a July 22, 2019, uh, published interview that he was fired because his investigators were closing in on corruption in Burisma and also about to uh, investigate and interview Hunter Biden. So when Joe Biden and and the mainstream media says, oh, there's no connection there, um, don't the facts suggest otherwise?
5: They absolutely do. Um, you know, what I can do is speak obviously to the fact pattern and, and Greg, I mean, you, I think, can probably break this out from the legal context of this. Um, but what we know is that clearly Ukrainian officials were investigating Burisma. Burisma, there were multiple investigations against Burisma, uh, because at the time it was widely recognized in, in investment circles in Ukraine that uh, Burisma was not a company you wanted to do business with because there were all these huge questions about money and, and how the company was formed and what it was using its money for. And that's a matter of public record. Um, Shokin confirmed that, as you said, to the Washington Post. He also confirmed that to the New York Times. Uh, and there's no reason to question him. And the only defense that, that, that you know, Biden, um, and his team have offered is, well, you know, lots of people wanted Shokin fired because he was corrupt, which, you know, obviously, it's a question that's, that's open and that can be discussed, but is irrelevant to this question. I mean, I think it's a, it's a massive conflict of interest for you to be the bearer of this threat, of the, the, the one who's bringing forward this threat uh, and, and this clear quid pro quo to somebody who is potentially going to put your son in legal peril. Um, and, and the fact that other people thought Shokin was a bad prosecutor is corrupt is completely irrelevant. Um, and I think this is an issue that is not going to go away for Biden uh, because he hasn't effectively honestly dealt with it. And I think there's going to be more reporting coming out from John Solomon and others that, that are going to indicate clearly um, what we know about the money flows to Hunter Biden and other people connected with Burisma.
0: Yeah. Under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, it is illegal—it's a crime—for a public official to confer a benefit in exchange for something of personal value to himself or to an immediate relative, i.e. your son— And so, uh, you know, I've argued repeatedly that if the president felt that Ukraine had evidence of uh, a violation of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act by an American official, uh, Joe Biden, he had every right to ask Ukraine to please uh, look into it, hand over evidence if you have any. And the fact that Joe Biden may be running for the president of the United States doesn't give him immunity or amnesty from the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act.
5: I think that, I think that's a, that's a hugely important point, Greg, and I think that that famous phone call now that Donald Trump had with the president of uh, Ukraine, Zelensky, uh, is even more important when you consider the fact that Zelensky rises to power in Ukraine. Uh, His biggest financial backer is a Ukrainian oligarch named Kolomovsky, who is, guess what, involved with Burisma. So, for the president to raise it with the president of Ukraine, that's the way to do it. In a, in, a, in a sense, Trump is signaling to Zelensky. I want you to look at this without saying, I know who your backers are. I know that they may be implicated in this, but you need to look at this. And I agree with you. It's completely appropriate. The actions we're talking about did not occur when Joe Biden was a private citizen. He was vice president of the United States. He was executing and carrying out American policy in Ukraine, and his son was profiting at the same time. Uh, So if this is going to be looked at at all, it needs to be looked at now. Uh, If Joe Biden's out of politics, people would be saying, oh, there's no reason to look at it. He's out of politics. It should be looked at. And it was quite appropriate for President Trump to raise this issue with Zelensky in the manner in which he did.
0: Peter Schweitzer, you are a wealth of information. And your books are among my favorite, the most recent Secret Empires. Thank you for taking the time. Happy New Year. I'm Greg Jarrett, filling in for Sean Hannity on The Sean Hannity Show. More of your calls on the other side, our number is eight hundred nine four one. sean Fred filling in for Sean Hannity, and we are back now with just a couple of minutes. Uh, Tom in Ohio has been on the line. Tom, thanks very much.
5: Hey, Greg. I always enjoy it when you're guest hosting. I think you have a real knack for the radio thing. And Thank you. Don't quit your day job, but
0: glad to have you. <laughs> Okay, thanks. Don. I really appreciate all that.
5: I really appreciate all the hard work you've done with the last three years exposing a lot of the criminal behavior that's, uh, that's gone on with the previous administration. I was hoping you could spend a couple minutes commenting on Susan Rice's email that she notoriously left just prior to the end of the Obama administration, where she memorialized the fact that the president was briefed by all of the top law enforcement officers, and, uh, you know, what you think that means. Going,
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and on the other side of our break, I'll provide the answer. I'm Greg Jarrett, filling in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Well, Sean is back on the radio, sort of. Uh, I'm Greg Jarrett, uh, filling in for Sean Hannity and thanks for being with us over the course of these three hours, sort of because somebody recently introduced me as Greg Hannity. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I was down in Florida uh, giving a speech and book signing, and did somebody mistakenly referred to me as uh, Greg Hannity in the introduction. And uh, frankly, I take that as a, as a compliment, uh, but no, we're not related Um, and, uh, he's not my long lost child. Um, I, I am actually considerably older than Sean Hannity. Um, although his hair is gray and mine is not, and no, I don't dye my hair and no, it's not a to pay, which is, you know, the most frequent, it's unbelievable, Ethan, the most frequent, um, email, uh, or Twitter, You know, criticism I get is um, stop wearing that awful toupee or stop dyeing your hair. I'm sorry, but this is my real hair and I don't dye it. Uh, Ginger cuts my hair once a month and she can attest to the fact that, no, I don't dye my hair uh, and it's real hair that is cut. And uh, I, you know, viewers may not like it, and I apologize for that, but there's nothing I can do about my hair. It's my hair. Okay? And uh, my mother had uh, pitch black hair until the day she died at age 82, and it's just a genetic thing. And what can I tell you? And so, you know, uh, what do you want me to do? Color my hair gray? Should I do that? I mean, Ethan, what do you think?
1: I'm I'm just dumbfounded. Uh, That's pretty amazing.
0: Did you think I dye my hair? I only, I only thought you might have only because you told us your age recently, which I didn't believe either. I'm about to turn sixty-five in April. I couldn't believe it when you told us, to be honest. Yeah, I aren't I supposed to apply for uh, Medicare in the six months before I turn sixty-five? Isn't that the deal? Yeah. Okay. Will you help me with that? I guess. (laughs) No, you won't. (laughs) You're lying. You're not going to help me. Uh, somebody's got to help me with that. All right. Uh, way off subject. Uh, and I don't even recall how we got to it. But Tom, our last caller, had posed a very good question. Can you explain your view of the Susan Rice email on the very last day of the Obama administration, President Trump's inauguration day, January 20th, 2017? Tom's, Tom's a smart fellow because not many people remember that email. And it's very important. Uh, because in it, Susan Rice, uh, who was leaving as national security advisor for Barack Obama, writes this very unusual message to herself, memorializing a conversation that she observed uh, weeks earlier, I believe it was January 5th, between Comey and Obama, in which she quotes the president as instructing Comey Uh, Be sure uh, to uh, go by the book or some such thing in the Trump-Russia investigation. Now, why would Susan Rice write that uh, memo to herself? I'll tell you why. Uh, It was a CYA memo. And you know what that means, cover your you-know-what. Because at the time, the FBI wasn't going by the book. Uh, They had deceived the FISA court to spy on a Trump campaign advisor, Carter Page. And we now know there were 51 inaccurate uh, statements, errors, deceptions, omissions, and lies, including the doctoring uh, of one email. And it was that very month, January of 2017, that the FBI learned that the dossier was phony. They learned it from Christopher Steele's subsource. So there's this conversation allegedly between Trump and Comey in which Obama allegedly says, oh, gee, make sure you do it by the book. Now, you can draw your own conclusion, but mine is that this was a CYA memo uh, to cover the fact that the FBI and Comey were not doing it by the book. Uh, you can read more about it, speaking of books, in my book, Witch Hunt, The Story of the Greatest Mass Delusion in American Political History. Let's go to our next uh, caller. Jerry joins us from beautiful and warm Florida. Hey, Jerry, Happy New Year.
6: Thank you, Greg. Hey, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I think you are one of the most logically based people on the television or radio, and I I really appreciate your uh, input kind. on every Thank subject. You. Thank yeah. you. So, th- I, I come from a family of Democrats, died in the dyed-in-the-wool Democrats, all union people.
1: My condolences. Uh,
6: I started, my, yeah, I started my own business in the mid '80s after I finally broke away from the mindset of, of you know, that the nanny state was going to take care of me. And um, well, let's just put it this way: I, I, I have a business I run that's in Oregon, but I live in Florida. And I definitely do a lot better than I did uh, working for the, for uh, you know some big company that you work for until you die, and that's what you do. Right. But the mindset, the mindset of the Democrat is is really important, and I and I think I really have it down pat. And it part of it is the indoctrination of the evilness of anybody that's not wearing the same color hat. It's Basically, it's just like whether you're a Yankees or a Boston Red Sox fan. It's like, by God, it might be a crook, but by God, it's my crook. <laughs> and so you know, they, 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 they refuse to open their eyes to seeing anything until it literally hits them between the eyes. And that's what happened to me, changed my whole life. Was was understanding that everything I had been taught that the re, that the Democrats supposedly stood for was all BS, and then I saw in the in the mid to late eighties the the news media carrying their water with you know, and I, I I'm, right. I'm a big hunter and, and gun you know right supporter, and I watched the news media lying, just outright lying about things that the NRA were doing, and they, they, and the news media ran with some of the stuff that was a complete lie right. for years and years, and it's got nothing but worse.
0: So. Yeah. You know, uh, Jerry, since you all your family and friends are Democrats, did you buy them my book, Witch Hunt?, Uh, to set the record straight and maybe open their eyes and minds with the truth?
6: I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm afraid if I bought them the book, they would probably tear out the pages and actually light a fire with it. So uh, they are not not open-minded to it at all. They all thought I was crazy for when I started my own business. But the point, though, that I wanted to make was that until Republicans, conservatives, make a compelling argument that the common man can get their head wrapped up around in an emotional basis, which is what Democrats are really good about, is pulling the the emotion out of a subject and going at it in a way that somebody can understand how they are being stabbed in the back by these people over and over again and quit citing statistics. And all that kind of stuff that does not do anything to sway public opinion.
0: All right, Jerry, thanks very much from Florida. Listen, I don't disagree with you. Um, And, and, you know, there's two problems here. First of all, these Democratic candidates are trying to buy votes with, you know, free this, free that, you know, free college education, free guaranteed income, uh, you know, uh, forgiveness of debts. You know, it, it reminds me... Of the old Herbert Hoover, you know, a chicken in every pot, a car in every garage. And, you know, it's just buying votes. Um, Medicare for all, Green New Deal, uh, you know, kumbaya, we're all going to pay for you. Um, Americans are smarter than that. They know there's no such thing as a free lunch. Next is John from Michigan. Hey, John, thanks for being with us. Happy New Year.
6: Thanks for having me, Greg Hannity. No, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Maybe I should change my name. I don't know. Yeah, that's right. No, it's great talking to you, Mister Jarrett. I, uh, you know, as much as I enjoy Sean, I'm actually glad you're on because I you. have a, I have a question to pose, more of a leaguer statue, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, I'm obviously a very big believer, and I think you are too. You actually played a clip a little while ago that the media is perpetually pushing lies and false information to fit an agenda. Right. Um, you know, that's obviously verified some 96% of the coverage of news is negative against this administration. Yeah. So it's not only just false, it's intentionality is false as well. So while the president and no legal office can really do anything to the media because they hide behind freedom of the press and the constitution, what about the people? What about citizens, Greg? Can we do a, you know, a class action or anything against them to start holding them accountable? I mean, because they're going to have to address that if the people stand up and say, okay, i got 60 million people here wanting to sue us. What are your thoughts on something like that?
0: Yeah, you know, there would have to be a a legitimate cause of action, as it's known, uh, in a civil action uh, such as a class action lawsuit for money damages. Um, And I can't think of any off the top of my head. You know, Um, it it is not a crime uh, for the media to lie to the American public. I I wish it were otherwise um, because they'd all be in jail. Um, but it—it's it, just not in the First Amendment. You know, protects free speech. We have such a thing as defamation, but when it comes to, uh, you know, lying, um, you know, uh, about a public figure, you have to show actual malice, which is a very high standard under New York Times versus Sullivan. Uh, it's an impossible standard. Um, you have to show that a member of the media. Um, knew that it was a lie or recklessly disregarded the truth, and it's, you know, it's just a, a tough standard. So the, the answer is no. But the, the response that the American public should mete out to the uh, corrupt m- media, the lying media, the biased, uh, hating media, is to stop watching those programs on CNN and MSNBC, uh, and stop reading the New York Times and The Washington Post. Um, and, and the only way that you can uh, let your opinions and feelings about the dishonest media be known and be effective is, you know, to, you know, vote with your eyeballs uh, and your ears don't listen and watch fake news media like CNN and MSNBC. Why anybody with a brain would ever tune in to Rachel Maddow is uh, confounding and bewildering to me. She has a proven track record of getting it wrong. She spent two and a half years telling her viewers, promising them that Trump was guilty of of a criminal collusion conspiracy telling her viewers that the dossier was true, and both of those things were absolutely wrong. In my view, she has no credibility, and you would have to be insane to continue to watch Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. Uh, We're going to pause, take a quick break. More of your calls on the other side. I'm Greg Jarrett, filling in on The Sean Hannity Show. Closing moments of the Sean Hannity Show on Greg Jarrett. Filling in for Sean, let's go to our phone lines. David in Washington. Hi, David. How are you? Doing great. How about you? I'm well, thanks. So your-
2: I had to write this down just to make sure I didn't stumble over what I was thinking. So, <laughs> get this to you. With all your investigations for your book, one thing that has always stuck out to me from the beginning was the time Hillary, during the debate, chuckled and said to Trump, if you lose, you'll say the election was rigged. As we know, she was already funding the dossier. Do you think that, from things you've learned and possibly some of this was so that they, after they quote quote, won the election, everyone would be in place and possibly put Trump in jail?
0: No, I don't think the the plan was to put Trump in jail. I, I think it was as Peter struck and Lisa Page said an in insurance policy, the Trump Russia collusion hoax. Uh, was all an insurance policy in the unlikely event that Trump was elected. They would use it to destroy him and drive him from office. That, I think, is what their plan was. And the assumption was that Trump would never win. And all of this would be covered up. If you want to read more about it, I hope you'll pick up my new book, Witch Hunt, The Story of the Greatest Mass Delusion in American Political History. It tells the story from beginning all the way to the end. There was never any credible evidence that Trump had engaged in some Russian collusion conspiracy. There was never any plausible evidence that he was a Russian asset. And it was all based on a fabricated phony dossier. And now we know from the inspector general's report that The FBI knew it almost immediately. Within months of launching their investigation, they had learned from the subsource who provided all of the dossier information that it was phony, that it was exaggeration. It was hearsay built on multiple hearsay. Some of it was said in jest. Witch Hunt is my new book. I hope you'll pick it up. I'm Greg Jarrett, in for Sean Hannity.